Welcome to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. This is the show that highlights and celebrates the kinetic and potential energy in classrooms across the globe and why it matters. We are heard nationally on your favorite podcast sites where you'll also find a library of all of our shows. And if you happen to live in Charleston, South Carolina, we're here, we're heard Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. on the iconic 1250 WTMA with the invaluable assistance of our dear friend John Quincy. And here she is, the namesake of Robin Berlinski's show, Robin Berlinski. Hey, Ron. We meet you in person at last. <laughs> what am I talking about? All right. Well, as always, uh, well, uh, do a little bit of business and then I'll brag about your guest. Okay. So if you're listening on the radio, don't forget, I have a podcast. Follow me on Robin underscore Berlinski. When you listen to the show, we offer prizes each week. So it's really fun to play along and you'll win some cool things. Well, thank you for that. And uh, we have a guest all the way from the West Coast. All so the anytime way. Anytime somebody gets up early to be on the show with us, it's always a pleasure. Stephanie Bacon is her name. She's an educator, coach, and also a student, as we also like to say about ourselves as well. Stephanie is a mother, an educator, and a researcher. She spent over 20 years in the K-12 through educational setting, primarily as a classroom teacher and also as an instructional coach and association president. Currently, Stephanie is completing her doctorate at the University of Nevada, Reno, by researching the role of social and emotional competence and authenticity in the classroom. She also offers authenticity workshops and coaching for large groups and organizations with her business partner, Karen Caton Brunnings. Stephanie, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. We're so excited. Today, um, Stephanie, we're going to talk about teacher energy and taking care of teachers so they have the right energy for their classrooms. And I'm going to tee this up with a report from February of 2023. ABC News reported more than three quarters of the states are experiencing a teacher shortage, highlighting a growing concern among public education and government officials about issues that were exacerbated during three years of the COVID pandemic. A government accountability office report on pandemic learning published in June of 2022, estimated that public education lost about 7% of its total teaching population. That's about 233,000 between 2019 and 2021. With many educators reporting to ABC News that strict time demands, persistent behavioral issues, and lack of administrative support, among other obstacles, were the reasons. And today we're going to talk about SEL, social emotional learning. It's not new. It was around well before the pandemic, but it's more important than ever after so many children missed out on socialization during the pandemic. And now teachers are dealing with that. Um, so, Stephanie, I got to talk to you a few weeks ago, and we were both, again, I'm all about energy, and I felt your energy all the way from California, and I could not wait to have you on the show so our listeners could feel some of that. So, I just want to say welcome, and as Ron said, thank you for getting up so early. I know it's very early in California right now, but let's jump right in and tell us about your mission in this great world of SEL. Sure. I just want to respond by saying, just responding to the information you shared in that report. And would just say teaching is a hard job. It was a hard job before the pandemic, and it's harder now. And that's something that I think we just have to start by calling out. People often think, you know, I went to school, therefore I could teach. But after a few days in the classroom, you know, most 
people realize that it's a complex environment, right? And so um, how the teacher shows up to the classroom, if you just think of the math of it, a teacher walks into a classroom of 20 to 35 students on average, and if they show up, you know, energized and feeling well-rested and, and emotionally stable, that's going to resonate out into the classroom. And when it resonates out into the classroom, the students become more cooperative um, and there's less conflict, right? And, and so then the teacher is able to make and enjoy their job. And what's been happening, um, you know, influences on the classroom and, and factors within our control and outside of our control have put more stressors on the teacher. So then the teacher is showing up in a more stressed out state and that energy is resonating into the classroom and the kids respond. Anyone who's been in an elementary school classroom the week before Christmas vacation can recognize intense amount of energy that, that kids can resonate. So when we get in this cycle where teachers are juggling multiple hands and showing up stressed and exhausted and maybe unsure of their next move in the classroom, that energy moves into these 30 kids. Those kids respond in ways that make the job even more challenging. They go home to their families. Either maybe they've had a great day or not such a great day. They talk with their parents, and maybe the parent feels like they need to get involved. And so we have this kind of place of energetic resonance in, that really the teacher plays a huge role in. And that's what you and I talked about, that our schools are huge places of, you know, where ripples are being sent out into our community. Yes, the ripple, we talked about that. And back up a little, I want you to share the story you shared with me about starting out one way with your doctorate and then ending up another way after you learned so much about what you're talking about and why it's important to highlight it and study it. Sure. So um, I started my doctorate in 2019. I was still uh, working full time and I would go to classes in the evening. And at that time, I was really interested in teacher decision making because teachers make you know thousands of decisions each day and those decisions are impactful. And I recognized in my own teaching that sometimes I was making decisions that were really in alignment with my training, and other times I was making decisions that were in more because I'd been pushed by an external force, either a powerful parent or a new policy. And so initially my research was focused on uh, the impact of government policy decisions on teacher decision making. So a policy would get made and then teachers would shift what they do in the classroom and, and that would be impactful. But uh, at the end of, I guess it was 2022, I found myself just exhausted. And um, I was the teacher who had done all the classes to continue my ed and I signed up for the committees and I helped as a volunteer. And I noticed that I'm uh, classroom, I was starting to feel pretty resentful and maybe quick uh, with my re reactivity in the classroom. And so um, at that time, um, my friend and uh, a life coach that I had worked with, Karen Caton-Burning, had said, you know, I'd really like to look at supporting caregivers as these humans that really have an effect, have a ripple effect in our communities 
um, I'd like to support teachers. Can you help me out? And when she said that, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm a caregiver. I hadn't really thought of myself that way. I had thought of myself as this person who ensured excellence and got kids into college. And so it was kind of a reframe, and it, it made me look at myself as uh, a caregiver and a person who was being emotionally kind of pressured and kind of losing it. So I thought, well, sure, and I had decided to take the year off to get deeper into my studies, and at that time I just thought, let me look into what Karen's talking about as teachers, as caregivers, and as entities that kind of have energetic resonance in the classroom. And at that point, when I did the research, I was both like shocked and inspired. And that's because um, prior to the 2000s, there was a growing body of research on the emotionality of teaching and learning. And that research kind of got pushed to the side at the introduction of the No Child Left Behind Act in 2000, where schools, um, both universities and uh, K-12 institutions were asked, asked to really look at measuring what kids are learning academically and ensuring they are, quote, college and career ready. And so the research shifted away from kind of how we learn as a human being and towards how do we ensure that kids are academically ready, meaning having the academic, not necessarily the social and emotional skills, um, to go to college and career. That legislation was then readdressed under the Obama administration and became more broad, and, and it started to ask us to look at the achievement gap. And now we have this achievement data from the 2000s, and we notice there's a gap, and the gap is between um, you know, advantaged groups and marginalized groups. So let's examine how do we address that achievement gap and at that time, then there was also some information, wow, you know, we do need to look at uh, kids, our students, in terms of their social and emotional status, because we're recognizing under new research that how kids are interacting and showing up socially and emotionally can impact their learning. And part of that research revealed that um, teacher and student relationships are very impactful on student learning. So we started to learn more and recognize the whole aspect of the human person as a relational, relational body in learning. And we developed social and emotional learning programs for students. And you can see those popping up in the mid to late 2000s. And districts then moved on to let's adopt these programs for teachers to deliver to students. Uh, that help them develop self-awareness and self-management skills and, and healthy relationship behaviors. The little gap that I feel wasn't addressed is that no one bothered at that time to check in with how teachers themselves were doing social, socially and emotionally. So, of course, we wouldn't expect anyone to teach algebra or calculus if they hadn't studied it themselves and done many of the practice problems themselves. And certainly we wouldn't expect someone who doesn't read regularly or, 
or study the act of reading to teach reading, yet uh, schools and, and districts were perfectly willing to say, here's your social and emotional learning curriculum, please instill this on the students. Um, and I think it certainly didn't hurt, but did it have the impact that it could have? Um, I don't think so. And I think it's because we forgot to recognize what's hard to talk about. It's pretty hard to talk about whether or not teachers are socially capable of really delivering that kind of curriculum. I want to jump in. And a lot of times when... Stephanie, yeah. that is so important what you just said. That is, that is it right there is that you're right. Teachers know how to teach math or science, whatever it is they're teaching. And then they go in the classroom and they do that. Then you take this social emotional learning piece that they're not trained in or maybe trained in how to do it, but they don't do it themselves. Well, now there's that disconnect. And that is super powerful what you just said, because you're right. It is difficult as an adult. Sometimes, you know, different types of therapies and the way we grow ourselves, whether we, you know, read for, you know, to better our emotions or whatever it is we're going through, different life changes, divorces, you know, losing a house, buying a house, having a baby, like all these things are on us. And then we're expected to also do our job and help our students with social emotional learning. I mean, I just needed to stop and put a spotlight on that because that is it right there is the support for the teachers. So talk about what you did next once you recognized that. Well, first, I'd just like to say when we, when we ask teachers to teach something else, we also just have to acknowledge that these teachers that were handed the social and emotional curriculum, no one said, okay, you don't have to do this other job anymore, do this. The teachers were still teaching their math, their language arts, their science, their social studies. And now the social and emotional curriculum was one more thing. And what do we all do when we have one more thing to do? We're going to prioritize it based on our own kind of beliefs about how important it is or how comfortable we feel dealing with it. So um, it's important to recognize that the social and emotional learning curriculum are just one more thing. It's not like they've pushed anything else out of classrooms. And that, and because of that, they're going to get, you know, differing levels of attention in different classrooms, meaning kids are having different access to this learning. So um, once I kind of dove into the research, I just started thinking about, you know, how do we develop this? And um, how do we get teachers how do we put teachers in a position where they can uh, interact with the social emotional learning curriculum in ways that are going to resonate with kids? And so that's where I kept working with Karen and we've been kind of thinking, how do we, how do we really develop social and emotional competence in adults who often have varying degrees and personal, different personal experiences that impact their ways of interacting socially, their emotional resiliency. And that work kind of led me to authenticity. And I think of authenticity as SEL for adults, because the way adults are different from kids is that we've had years to kind of layer on the protections 
around our ego when we've been hurt or we've disappointed ourselves or we've been let down. And so a social-emotional learning program for adults is obviously going to need to look different. And when we dive into authenticity, that just being our, our real self, our very imperfect humans all the time, it actually helps us reconnect with that part of us, the part of us that is very childlike and very driven and very passionate and excited. And that's the energy we want to bring to the classroom, right? We want to show up in the classroom as that teachers. It's like, I love watching kids learn, or I want to be part of making this world a better place. Whatever got you into the classroom as an educator, authenticity work brings you back to that place. And it's from that place that you can prioritize how you, know, how you want your classroom to feel. You know, and most of the time when we take time to think about how we want things to go in our classroom, if we slow down, we know we want them to be places of cooperation where kids are happy and uh, are well received with positivity. We don't necessarily want them to be stressful places where kids walk in and everybody's worried about the next test score or are we going to make that achievement metric. But unfortunately, because there's been such an uh, so much energy put and attention put on test scores that often classrooms are places where we're focusing on that achievement metric rather than on that human that human experience of learning that is emotional and should be full of excitement and joy and curiosity. I love it. You're taking a lot of notes there, Rob. I, I am writing feverishly. I've never seen her do this. I yet. always say this, Stephanie, and what you said just really um, makes sense in, a, in an applicable way is that, um, who wrote that? Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love. Um, after the book, mm-hmm. when she would tour, she would talk about follow your passion and she switched that to uh, follow your curiosity because when you leave, when you lean in, you're motivated and you have that intrinsic reason for studying or researching or you know fulfilling whatever the test or whatever it is but that achievement metric versus that authenticity I love the authentic piece Um, and if you said that the first time we met I missed it because you were filling my brain with so much amazingness I I missed the authenticity so yes Ron I am writing feverishly because I got so excited when I when I heard you say that because we do we you know, we do have a teacher shortage. We do have teachers burning out. It breaks my heart. You know, I teach at the College of Charleston. I teach future educators who come to me in their junior year full of excitement, so excited to fill a classroom with tiny human beings that they can joyfully teach and celebrate everything they learn. And then to find out years later, these same educators are feeling frustrated and stressed and overwhelmed and they want to leave is heartbreaking to me. So I love what you're doing and I love that you are taking the time to explore it and you bring it to the attention of the world and hopefully some things will change. And I want to know, I have two questions. I want to know what grade you taught and then I want to know what your next step is like when are you getting your doctorate when is this all going to be published um i'm going to answer both those two questions but i just want to offer one a thought and that is you bring up this a point 
about humans are natural learners. They are naturally excited. If we look at all the research on learning, humans learn. And we need to start trusting in the human ability to learn and the human desire. We are naturally curious people. Trust in that. Instead of trying to mandate it and ensure a certain outcome, we need to start trusting in humanity and in our curiosity. I mean, look at what we have produced in this world out of pure curiosity and following our own interests. I love that. So I just want to put that out there. I just don't want people to forget to trust in our natural ability as humans to learn. And then for me, um, I've taught fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Um, and when I go back to the classroom this fall, I'll be in a middle school. And But as a teacher coach, I worked in classrooms um, from kindergarten to which bow down to those kindergarten teachers. That is such hard work. All the way up uh, through 12th grade, every grade level is unique and every grade level is hard. And it's um, it's been amazing to watch people do such beautiful things in those classrooms. And then uh, my next step is really uh, is just to, and people laugh if they've done this before, is to put my research into the dissertation form. I'll be completing a small study on uh, using authenticity training to and see what authenticity training does to uh, teacher and student relationships. And then I've just got to type that all up, Robin. Wish me Ugh. luck. <laughs> I wish you great luck with that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm coming to your graduation. I want to celebrate you. This is amazing. Thank you. Let me throw something out there because I'm I'm often here just to state the obvious because I don't have a background in education, although I feel like I do being with Robin all this time. But, you know, we forget everyone has these expectations that a teacher walks into the classroom and they're on and they're fabulous and they're doing their job. And, and I think everyone has a tendency to forget they have their own lives and their own issues. And I don't envy any one of you educators who had to muddle through the COVID nonsense. And I, I mean, from my own house, my kids, I dare say they suffered as a result of it. You know, my oldest was basically locked in her room for a year and a half trying to do IB, mm. you know, online. And how do you do labs? How do you do all of it? Was and somehow they muddled through it. But boy, was it challenging. And I don't envy any of those educators that helped us. And uh, big thanks to everybody for stepping up. But boy, you talk about learning by the seat of your pants. Is that a safe assessment? Lots Definitely. Of head okay. And I think every, every educator was like, okay, what am I going to do today? And how is it going to work out? Because it was so different than what we've ever done. Yeah, and how do you keep the energy up on a computer screen? That's the other piece, too. It's one thing to be in your classroom with a Dr. Seuss hat on your head doing crazy, like, book readings, and then all of a sudden, they're on a screen. And you're like, oh, let's keep this energy up. Well, so I'm curious, when all this went down, and, and nobody expected this, our, all of our lives kind of unraveled briefly, where were the... Where was the leadership? You're ready to go into your classroom and you go, well, gee, what do I do tomorrow? Who am I supposed to hear from to tell me what I should do? Or am I just going to take it on my own and come up with a plan uh, independently? You know, having to put in online learning, all these things that didn't exist uh, 12 hours before are now part of the daily existence. How did that happen? I mean, obviously, every school district was different, but it just blows me away yeah. how, it, how quickly it implemented. I think you bring up an important point, Ron, and our school leaders 
are even under more pressure than the teachers sometimes because they're navigating leadership amidst those changes. And they were doing just like you mentioned earlier, flying by the seat of their own pants, only trying to be a leader, which is incredibly challenging, trying to maintain relationships and, and confidence of the community when you're really not exactly sure what you're exactly. doing. And that was a huge challenge of the pandemic. Um, I would say in terms of energy in the classroom, Robin, I did a brief study with a professor at UNR where we looked at participation rates on activities. And what we found is it was very obvious that students would complete activities if they were in like a live meeting much more often than they would complete an activity, even if it was more fun and had like cartoons and better animation, if they had to do it on their own. So that tells you the importance of community, of collective energy, even if it's on the screen, we could be doing boring things on the screen like reading and taking notes and kids were more likely to participate than doing a gamified app on their own. Interesting. Hmm. All right. Well, I hate to say it. We're not there yet, but we're getting close. Stephanie, why don't you let people know how they can get in touch with you, presuming you want people to get in touch with you. I love talking with people about the classroom and about authenticity and just about taking care of themselves as humans. Um, the best way to find me is just at my website that Karen and I built, and that is at AuthenticallyYours.net. Say that one more time. AuthenticallyYours.net, all one word, Authentically Yours, and then just a little dot and net. Um, and that's the best place to learn about the work that Karen and I do together to support caregivers and other organizations who are looking to kind of uh, take care of conflict in a productive way and move toward cooperation and at the same time get in touch with our authentic selves and kind of the freedom that comes from uh, being your true self and not kind of shape-shifting towards the expectations of others. Outstanding. You know, Robin, this, this uh, concept of energy matters, it is so much broader than I anticipated. And man, are we getting some great comments from all over the spectrum, aren't we? Yes, and I have to say, when I, meet, when I met Stephanie, I felt her energy on the screen, just like she was talking about. We were in a Zoom, and remember, Stephanie, I was just like, oh my gosh, I want to I know everything about you. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing your amazingness with our listeners. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. I'm not sure I've heard the word amazingness ever outside of this studio. But. <laughs> All right, Robin, and some last business before we say our goodbyes. Yes, so if you're listening on the radio, remember we have a podcast. You can find other episodes wherever you listen. And please follow me on social media on Instagram, Robin underscore Berlinski. There are lots of prizes. I should mention before I read my you know standardized script here, our podcasts are available on Spotify, Pandora, Apple. I mean, what an audience. Amazon. Amazon, too. Radio, Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, folks, you've been listening to Energy Matters in the Classroom with Robin Berlinski. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we'd love your feedback at thelearningring.com, where you can also reach out to Robin with questions or comments and even chances to win prizes. Stephanie, thanks for joining us today, and thank you all for joining us. Until next time.